It's Wednesday, June 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Good to see you guys. Yeah. Yo. Especially you, Matt, because you just spent a couple of weeks um, climbing, what, Mount Rainier? Mount Rainier. And live to tell the tale. Live to tell the tale. Did some uh, did some ice climbing. Did some uh, camped out in freezing temperatures. Went to the bathroom in a blue bag for seven straight days. And you did this by choice. I I did this mostly for my wife for my wife's choice. Oh, okay. I don't know we always doesn't it say, always just, come back. Just it. yesterday we talked about Jason uh, buying a house because he's interested in staying married to the woman he's married to at the moment, and you climbed Mount Rainier. Well, I mean, I, my honeymoon and we climbed a mountain up, you know, for my for our honeymoon. So you have the perspective there. Uh, any bears? Any any like wild animals you no, have to fend off? No wild animals. You know, at ten, well, fourteen thousand four hundred feet, there's not really much life. I mean, humans shouldn't be up there anyway. I was just going to say the animals are watching you guys scale the mountain, going, I don't know what the hell they're yeah. doing. They're idiots. Well, Mac will appreciate this. Going well, to glad to be here. Glad to be back in a blue bag for ten days. I mean, hey, Mac, at least it wasn't a red bag. It wasn't right? the red bags that the people on Carnival Cruise Line had to deal with. <laughs> uh, moving on, um, we're going to talk uh, the music industry. Uh, earning season preview because that is coming up yet again. Um, the latest shot to be fired in the uh, robotic revolution. And it's coming, people. It really is coming. Uh, but first, a programming note. Uh, it's going to be a short week for us. Um, uh, this is our last episode for the week. We'll be back next week. But next week will also be a very short week for us because uh, it's Independence Day here in the U.S. So we will be taking some time off. But don't worry. When earnings season kicks in July 8th, we will be back in force. Uh, let's start with music. Uh, shares of Pandora up more than 7% this morning. The company announced it has 2.5 million listeners in the U.S. in cars. And, uh, Matty, we were talking earlier, it seems like that is what is really pushing the stock up this morning, this whole notion that Pandora is getting some traction with automakers, expanding the, the model, the number of models that they're going to be in by the end of the year, that sort of thing. So, you know, if you're bullish on Pandora, certainly this is uh, one tangible good sign. Sure is. Uh, you know, there were a lot of questions just, you know, just a few months back whether something like Pandora had staying power. And I think now, two and a half million, you know, cars, 70 million total active users, I mean, Pandora is a legit platform for internet radio. Uh, it's, it's by far the most popular. It's the leader in that. And, uh, you know, um, it, it makes a ton of money off advertising. It, um, it's, it's, the stock's done incredibly well over the last few years. I'd say, yeah, respect Pandora. It probably deserves to be up. We talk about the battle for the living room all the time, but I, I'm, I'm starting to think that there's a, a smaller uh, battle that we should examine somewhere down the line, and it's the battle for the car. Because if you think about it, uh, and and we just know anecdotally, our colleague Alex Scherer was uh, the last time he was here driving his his Tesla Model S. Um, one of the things he talked about was being able to listen to market foolery in his car and and Motley Fool money and that sort of thing. And it seems like you're just going to have more. Just as consumers have more and more choices in the living room, they're going to have more and more choices in their car for what they listen to. Um, that seems to bode well on the surface for Pandora, less so for radio stations and, and maybe split the difference for Sirius XM. But yeah, what I do you think, Jason? Sirius XM is the one where I think has really sort of helped spur this movement along. And I, I always still get a chuckle when I hear the advertisements for HD radio just because I can't quite figure out how HD radio can be. But um, <laughs> the, you know, the thing that I like about Sirius XM, and we've talked about how sort of terrestrial radio stations may go the way of the dodo bird, because if you have something like a Sirius XM that is that is morphing into this uh, 
a la carte sort of option, being able to provide you what you want in your car whenever you want it. Uh, that's neat. Pandora obviously is something that needs to be pushing this presence in the cars, but really, you know, to my mind, they, they need that because they need to really figure out a way to push their subscription model. I mean, the, the money that they make today, uh, comes from advertising and, and given this, this sort of relationship they've, they've developed with the, the talent, the musicians to this point. I mean, they're starting to be seen as the bad guys. And so then you have to figure, well, they need to be providing more value if they can offer up a, a subscription service that that's more compelling than someone like me who just listens to Pandora every once in a while in the car because you know my kids like the Disney Channel on Pandora. <laughs> I mean that's I you know they don't get any of my money obviously they need to figure out a way to to get uh, you know a long term relationship established with the consumers. Uh, but even then, that doesn't solve the problem that's developing with the musicians. I agree. Well, before we get into that, though, I, I, would, I think the key point you said was listening to what we want. I think whether it's the living room or the car at the workplace, I mean, the idea of this on-demand entertainment culture we have now, and Pandora feeds right into that. I mean, they, you know, I select kind of the genre or the type of music I want to listen to, and Pandora actually gets smarter. You know, as I listen to more things, more artists, more um, types of songs, Pandora gets to know me better and, and gets gives me more and more music of what I want. So it's again, it's just this whole theme about on demand, which is is very powerful. Jason, you mentioned the artists that Pandora deals with, and we talked recently about Pandora doing pretty much everything they can to figure out a way to cut the royalty payments that they are paying to artists. Their latest attempt was buying a radio station in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And uh, that's a hopping town, by the way. Let me, let me just you know what? Say. Yeah, oh, yeah, by the way, man, I don't time. think we ever really, really oh, clarified this. We, on we, the we air. got a comment while you were climbing Mount Rainier. We, we got me under the bus. We got we got a comment from a listener saying, "Hey, you guys were were making fun of the size of 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 the town, and um, you know, Rapid City's a, a good sized city, and and that sort of thing." And 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 I read that email on the air, and I said, "You know what, I." Uh, I and I attributed it to Jason because in my memory, I thought it was Jason who made the comment. And I said, you know, I think Jason might have said that it was a town of 7,000 people because actually the radio station itself is domiciled in the town of Box Elder, South Dakota, which is, uh, I think, a suburb of Rapid City. So, the, oh, that was wow. the, and Rapid then, City has suburbs. Rapid City has suburbs. And then, and then uh, uh, later in the week, Jason uh, said, "Hey, I listened to that episode. That wasn't me making that comment." So, I, <laughs> did we ever figure out who it was? Was it him? Was he the one that made I, that? I, guy? I, because that was a pretty snarky little comment right there <laughs> about the here. suburbs. I mean, come on. I mean, um, <laughs> let's get, let's get back to the royalty payments that they are uh, at Pandora attempting to cut um, by nearly. Is this right? Matt, re- nearly 85% they're trying to cut. That seems like a pretty dramatic cut in royalty payments. It, yeah. And the latest artist to take a shot at them is Pink Floyd. Right. This is Okay, so this is interesting. They're trying to cut by 85%. But let me give you an idea of right now what you can earn by being an artist on Pandora. Okay. Um, so this is according to the uh, Forbes article by Charlie Ambler, which was, uh, which was really well done. Uh, but apparently there's an artist on there who had 28th, his song... Let me see if I can get the name of the artist. Uh, Blake Morgan. Don't know him, apparently, though. He's He's got a good following. His song was played 28,000 times on Pandora uh, last quarter. Um, do you know how much that kind of netted him from Pandora in terms of royalty fees? Um, $1.62. Per song. Which is, I think, I won't, I don't think that even gets you a hot dog at Home Depot. So, <laughs> let me tell you. So, 28,000 
plays of your song gets you a dollar sixty-two. It's about eight cents for every thousand plays. Wow. Um, and Pandora is actually paying something like four times the average for what the average terrestrial radio plays or pays for uh, for uh, for plays. So it's it's uh, it's wow. I mean, talk about not not getting any money for. Here's in in my opinion. Here's the money quote from Pink Floyd: "A business that exists to deliver music." can't really complain that its biggest cost is music. You don't hear grocery stores complain that they have to pay for the food they sell. Um, I really feel like this is the great threat to Pandora. It's not Sirius XM. It's not terrestrial radio. It is the fact that they have conducted their business in such a way with respect to the royalty payments that artists and publishers who are not necessarily always on the same page and are frequently at odds with one another they are now essentially united against Pandora. They have managed to piss a lot of people off. And, you know, I, I mean, he's exactly right. Like, that, you don't hear grocery stores complaining about having to pay for the food they sell, right? I mean, they acknowledge in their press releases and earnings transcripts the costs and how they deal with those costs. But, yeah, that's the reason why they exist to purvey a good. Uh, Pandora doesn't exist without the music. And I don't know what kind of control the musicians have as far as letting Pandora play their music. And I, it's going to be a very difficult. It's very difficult for Pandora to play both sides of this coin. I mean, I almost wonder, as a musician, if you have to look at Pandora at this point in the game as almost like a business card. You know, I mean, it's something where do do you just go into this knowing that Pandora is not going to be a revenue source, and perhaps them playing your music is sort of free advertising. Is Maybe it, you make a little bit of money off of it. It's a gateway to greater exposure. The problem, well, to your earlier, we were talking before the show, Jason, I think if you, if you go back 20 years, it, Pert Radio was a great model for artists, right? It got you the exposure. And that allowed you to sell albums, CDs, um, and it got you, you know, it got you tours. That, unfortunately, that model's been broken to someone because guess what? People aren't really going out and buying, spending a lot of money on buying albums or, or um, you know, even a lot of songs these days. So it's, uh, it's, it's, they, it's Pandora's uh, essentially trying to ta- take over an old business model that actually doesn't even work anymore. Um, and, and I think that it's certainly exploiting a, a skill that not every musician has, right? It's, it's touring. And I think that a lot of bands, certainly a lot of the bands that I've grown up listening to, uh, are are great touring bands, right? I mean, whether it's yep. Widespread Panic or, or The Grateful Dead or whoever, you understand why they did it, right? I mean, that was how they made their hay. Uh, and, and you're right. There there are musicians out there that simply aren't going to benefit from this at all. You see a lot of these bands now that they have their own websites, and uh, if they're touring bands, then they will offer soundboard copies of the shows that they play for reasonable prices. And so when you have music enthusiasts like myself who have particular bands that we really like to listen to, well, they're making a lot of my money, mm-hmm. right, because I like to buy those those shows in, in Pandora. I, I don't think Pandora is ever going to really get any of my money because just I, it, to me it's not really that compelling of an offering to pay for. They can figure out a way to make it a more compelling offering to, to pay for uh, than, than we can talk, but I imagine that that would uh, certainly cost them more money in the process as well. I don't think they have to to solve that necessarily. I mean, they, they so they get about eighty eight percent of their money just from advertising. That actually might not be a bad model for them. I mean, because if you think about it, Pandora is essentially they know what we're listening to, they know what their customers are listening to, and so they kind of know. Um, 
how to target those ads. And so I think that's a pretty powerful that's, platform. He's they, right. We get a Pandora, or we get a Panera ad virtually every single time we're listening to, you. to yeah, Pandora you in, in our car. And it was funny. My my daughter said the other the other day there was like two songs and then like a twenty second uh, Panera commercial, and she says, "Dad, I hate these commercials." <laughs> But can we go to Pandora? Wow. Or can we go to you know, Man, Panera Bread? Times have changed. <laughs> I'm like trying to frame it as a commercial as an educational experience. It's a chance for you to learn what's out there. How would you know about it otherwise? Boom. It didn't. It didn't. Let's move on to earnings season, uh, which officially kicks off on Monday, July 8th, when Alcoa reports. Um, what are you guys looking forward to? What, Whether it's an industry, whether it's a specific company, I'm curious as we as – we, Head into the second half of 2013. It's certainly been an eventful first half of the year. It's certainly been, on balance, a good year for the market so far. Um, it would be great if the second half was going to be as good, but that's that. That would be almost greedy. But Matt, I'll just start with you. What are you What are you looking forward to? Well, there's a there's a few names I, I look to pretty much every quarter, um, and one one name right right on the top is always Amazon. Only because I'm always fascinated by what Amazon is doing, you know, how, what they're doing to grow their sales. And I love when a bunch of analysts are out there complaining, oh, they don't, they're not making any profits. The margins look terrible. And I just think, and Amazon just kind of plods along. But it, but it, that said, it's such a big, um, you know, kind of, uh, it tells us a lot about how e-commerce is doing, how retail in general is doing. It's a good proxy for a lot of things. So Amazon's the top of the list. This particular quarter, I'm very interested in a lot of housing-related names. We know the housing market is certainly improving. I mean, we, we had the, those housing numbers uh, yesterday yeah. showing the sales numbers were, were huge. Prices, year-over-year prices nationwide were up something like 12%, which, mm-hmm. is, which is huge. Uh, so, uh, But I'm not interested in as much the home builders. I'm interested in a lot of these sort of niche housing uh, remodeling players. I mean, Home Depot knows you can throw them in there. But I'm looking at a name like Tile Shop, ticker TTS, it's a kind of a, a retailer of, of tile shops, lumber liquidators doing flooring. Those are the kind of companies I'm, I'm looking at just to see how much strength is in the housing market really because if we are sort of at the beginning or in the early stages of a, of a big housing recovery, that, that's going to be very powerful for the economy. So, Jason, what about you? Yeah, I was reading an article the other day. I think I might have forwarded it to you at some point, but uh, talking about sort of this, this earnings preseason, they get some, some sort of uh, feelers as to how uh, the earnings are, are going to be coming down the pipe here and – uh, it just sort of gives you a, a, a gauge on sentiment and what these companies are saying. And, and it seems apparently that this uh, this pre-season for earnings is, is decidedly negative. Like I think a lot of companies are are feeling like they're going to disappoint, at least on the earnings side. And I think we always talk about uh, looking at revenues, uh, top-line revenues, sales numbers, uh, because it's really that that organic sales growth that can give us a good idea sort of of how the, the economy, generally speaking, is doing. And, and that's why I like Amazon for two reasons. Number one, you just never know what they're going to do. It's always something new. It's really cool to follow. But number two, it's just you can, you can watch those sales numbers and really see how you know e-commerce is going, and they just keep on taking that share. Uh, but you know there is a point. What we've we've talked about a lot with net margins and how companies have been cutting costs to the bone to deal with the sluggish economy. And at some point, that's going to hit a ceiling where they can't cut anymore. And I think that we may be coming into that sort of area where the costs have been cut, the earnings share, the earnings numbers are, are, are only going to be so good. And without that organic revenue growth, uh, we're probably going to see some, some earnings disappointments. If that's the case, 
uh, you know, I think it certainly behooves investors to have their eyes on on a couple of couple of stocks that they really like. Uh, you know, the earnings misses can present some buying opportunities for some longer term uh, winning stories. Out I'll, there. I'll just say, I'm, it's I'm I'm glad we're going into earnings season. I usually am not because it's just it's it's a hectic period, especially for the you know, pure analyst. But it, it it's going to hopefully distract us a little bit from the Fed and kind of the, the focus <laughs> on sort of all that that news flow that we've been getting on actual company results, right? Fundamentals. <laughs> wow, who, who would have thought? So excited actually about earnings season. Uh, before we get to our final story, last night in New York City, the Gerald Loeb Awards were handed out. These are the uh, awards that are given every year, and this is really sort of the uh, the, the Academy Awards for business writing, financial reporting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as I had mentioned uh, a while back, uh, there are five nominees in the category of financial commentary, and we had two of them here oh, at the Motley Fool. Awesome, uh, Morgan Housel and Alan Moskovitz, uh, both nominated in the financial commentary category. Uh, the winner, actually, was a gentleman by the name of John Gapper for the Financial Times. Um, so, uh, uh, fixed. A, a, fixed. <laughs> a little bummed that uh, that uh, it was not a fool taking home the prize, but just, uh, once again, I uh, uh, wanted to give a shout-out to, to Morgan and Alon. And uh, those are guys who I don't, you know, they, they focus really on uh, broad uh, economic writing and uh, Alon tends to dig into what's going on on you know on Capitol Hill and Congress and that sort of thing. He was actually nominated for his testimony uh at a congressional hearing. Um and Morgan Housel is is uh as far as I'm concerned takes a backseat to no one when it comes to uh writing about macroeconomic issues and how it affects individual investors. So uh if you're not going to fool.com on a regular basis to check out those guys, you should be because they're they're brilliant writers. Uh I'm very proud of them, and I would be stunned if this was their first and only nomination for the Loeb Award. Um, terrifying news. <laughs> yes, I'm calling this terrifying news out of North Carolina, and it does involve Microsoft. Um, and I'll just read uh, directly from this uh, science publication. Researchers at North Carolina State University have taken the first step toward creating an army of unstoppable cyborg cockroaches. <laughs> Scientists seeking a way to turn cockroaches to the side of good. And it, by the way, isn't that every horror movie that's ever been made about the that right. involves the rise of the machines? It's like, no, 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 no. Robots are going to help us. And then they gain intelligence and yeah, then they take over. Yeah, roaches. I mean, you remember um, that creep show? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, to turn cockroaches to the side of good have found a surprisingly simple method for doing so with Kinect, which is the the, uh, oh, the, X, Xbox. the Xbox system. Right. Uh, the researchers wired test cockroaches with a small circuit that could send electrical impulses to them, causing them to move forward and change direction by remote control, and then tied the whole thing into a connect setup. This is horrible. I mean, this this just this this to me is horrible for this reason. I've talked about. I've made no secret of my uh, of my fear of and certainty in the rise of the machines, Skynet, all that stuff, Skynet, and the animal <laughs> insect revolution, and this is combining them. Oh my gosh. Do you think the people at Microsoft have any pull here? Can they step in and say, look, no, that's not, use it for games, but not for this. Right. And, and cockroaches. I mean, you know, I can understand maybe, you know, they develop electronic mice or something because mice, right? But cockroaches. I mean, this is like, this is like Steve Ballmer calling the shots. It's like, Steve, what do you think is the best thing Microsoft can come out with? I think we should come out with some, some cockroaches, you know? 
Windows, no, Windows-based cockroach? Nothing good can come of this. No, again, again. <laughs> nothing good can come again, of this. Again, this is, I get, as a thought experiment, I understand why this is happening down at NC State, but for the love of God, people, just stop. Well, and there's, there is a trend, and actually our own David Gardner, we were talking, discussing this in a stock-related meeting a few weeks ago about the whole, the, the rise of machine-to-machine kind of uh, communication and technology. So machines kind of instructing other machines and that learning from each other. Yes. I mean, wow. Imagine that. There we go. We're just going to be a footnote soon, Chris. <laughs> just a footnote. <laughs> That's fine. But until until uh, they can use the Connect to control cockroaches to provide financial uh, commentary, uh, and and until the cockroaches start doing podcasts, I think we're safe. So for the next year or so. Probably. For the next year or so, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you sometime next week. So if if you were going to say it was... It, it's not going to be a roach. What would you use in lieu of the roach? If it was going to be another animal or bug or something, what would you use? Like, I don't think, I mean, I get why they use the roach because it, it can get, you know, into so many little small spaces, but what would you use instead of the roach? I mean, you uni- know what I would use. Unicorns. Oh, oh yeah. Unicorns are shooting cool. rainbows out of their unicorn. But, uh, what, <laughs> by the way, I was gone the last two weeks. Did we have a cicada uh, attack? Speaking of cockroaches, kind no, of. We, 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 well, in you Alexandria, say cicada, we kind of. I say cicada. <laughs> we we okay. kind of dodged that bullet here in Alexandria. Oh, okay. I think there are some parts that that Because I remember I just read all this stuff about. Oh how, yeah, the, oh, the, the, the seventeen-year cicada. Yeah, I think I millions use, of them. I would use a lizard instead of a roach. Lizards are are less disgusting looking. They're pretty resilient. Yeah. And they're chameleons. Like, they're cooler chameleons. Yeah. Chameleons. They can oh, now you're not going to see them though. Oh, yeah, but that could be good though, right? What do you got? Especially if they have to. Sneaky I think lizards good. We used to cut off their tails when we were kids and uh, they would, like regenerate. Right. You don't I mean, wait a minute. You don't its... you don't think the lizards are gonna hold that against you? <laughs> That's a good point. No, they like, grew it back. If you're in the lab and they're like, I heard of that guy. That's the guy who used to cut off our cousin's tails. <laughs> in the fine tradition of Market Vory, I'm just gonna say it was Jason Moser who did it. <laughs>